Welcome to this week's edition of the Worcester Talking Newspaper, recorded at Colin Chan's house on Thursday the 5th of March. I'm Jenny Tansy and reading with me this evening are Sue Perry, Sandra Porter, Kate Hudman. This week's copying team are Bernard and Doreen Potter and Janet Bailey. Duncan Wynne is our engineer and Carol Hartle is working on the administration. Thanks to Worcester News for all our information. The headlines this week are We're Still Open, Boy Traumatised by Porn at McDonald's, The Oscar Effect, Six Lifesavers Found, Trust Says A&E Can't Cope, Police Probe Night Attack on Woman, and Man Used Axe on Woman's Pet Dog. And now I'll pass you over to Sue for the first headline. And this is the headline from Friday, February the 28th. With many of the city's car parks flooded and roads blocked, businesses in the centre have seen a severe downturn in trade, despite remaining open. Sue Bishop, who runs Swan Boutique in Friar Street, told the Worcester News yesterday, It has been like a ghost town here today and yesterday. It is disappointing, but we just have to push on. I want people to know that we are still here and people can still pop in and shop. The floods have affected everyone, but we are staying positive. I am hoping it will be picking up at the weekend. Over at Coffee Doe in the Crowngate Shopping Centre, Barrister Maria Lewis, 26, said, It has been really quiet. We have a few customers over lunchtime, but it is nowhere near as busy as it usually is. Elsewhere in Crowngate, Flowers of Worcester said the closures of the car parks and roads had harmed business. Member of staff Angela Aston said, I would say the amount of customers we had yesterday was down by 70% at least, and today is even worse. <coughs> the road closures are hindering us. We can't do deliveries either. Getting into St John's and back takes two hours. Anya Potsy, owner of Anya Potsy Fine Jewellery in Friar Street, said, We want to let people know that as long as it is safe for them to get here, Worcester City is still open very much. Tim Evans of Toys and Games of Worcester added, We are fortunate enough to have a really loyal customer base. They come in whatever the weather. We have noticed it is quieter than usual, but we are not suffering. We feel for those who are affected. The closure of the nearby car parks has hurt us a little, but the shuttle bus has been great and directs people past us, so that is a bonus. A Worcester City Council spokesman said, Worcester is very much open for business. Car parks to the east of the city centre are fully open and we encourage people to make the most of local train services, as Fourgate Street Station is only a few minutes' walk away from the High Street and a wide selection of shops and restaurants. Worcester Bridge has now opened as well, which will have an immediate positive impact on city centre businesses. Recovery grants of up to £2,500 and resilience grants of up to £5,000 are available to help businesses which have been affected. 
Full details at worcester.gov.uk. The headline for Saturday, February the 29th, was Boy Traumatised by Porn at McDonald's. A young boy with autism has been left traumatised after seeing a very graphic pornographic video which had been left playing on one of the children's tablets at a city McDonald's. Martin White took his seven-year-old son for lunch at the McDonald's in Hilton Road, Worcester, last Saturday and while they were waiting for their food, they sat at one of the tables with the children's tablet attached. Mr White said that he heard a mum, who was sitting on the next table with two young children and their dad, gasp in shock, and when he saw what had alarmed her, he realised that the extreme video was playing on the tablet in front of his son. He said, we were totally disgusted, This is still affecting my son, who is autistic. He keeps saying he is having nightmares and keeps bringing up the video. Mr White from St John's added, The father on the next table immediately went over to the counter and reported the incident. A few minutes had passed and the video was still playing and no one had come over to the tablets. I went up to the counter and found that the staff were amused by the whole thing. They were giggling behind the counter. I demanded to see the manager who eventually arrived and all he could say was that it should not have happened. A McDonald's spokesman said, We have strict controls in place to ensure our tablets are family-friendly, which includes only using apps that have appropriate ratings and internet content filtering. We are concerned to hear about this customer's experience and as soon as it was brought to the attention of the restaurant, the business manager immediately apologised and followed the correct procedures to remove the content. Mr White, aged 53, added, I want to know how this can happen on a child's device and how McDonald's don't have measures in place to stop this from happening. There were kids everywhere. How in this day and age can someone gain access to a child's tablet that is on public view and display items of this nature in McDonald's of all places? Police received a report after the incident, which took place on Saturday, February 22nd at 2.30pm, and officers have contacted the manager to offer advice. The control measures the fast food restaurant have in place include clearing the tablet's cache after two minutes of activity to protect the user's user's identity and remove their profile. McDonald's also controls the apps that are downloaded so they are approved by Mumsnet and have appropriate ratings on Google Play Store. Internet content is filtered through the Wi-Fi that blocks inappropriate content and is up to Mumsnet standards. Dining area staff are also trained to clean and press the logout button when not in use. McDonald's customer service team sent Mr White the following message. Firstly, we would like to apologise for what took place on your last visit. We acknowledge and understand how upsetting and inappropriate it was. The restaurant manager extends his sincerest apologies. I apologise that you felt our staff were not supportive in dealing with the situation. There is nothing humorous about the situation. That kind of behaviour is not representative of our brand or values. After further communication with the restaurant, they will put forth more regular checks on the tablets, taking extra care and ensuring there's not a repeat of what happened to yourself. 
Uh, headline on Monday, March the 2nd, the Oscar effect, six lifesavers found. A huge search to find a donor for Oscar Saxelby Lee led to six blood cancer patients receiving potentially life-saving transplants, and that number will likely rise. Blood cancer charity DKMS revealed the figures a year to the day since nearly 5,000 people turned out for a donor drive held at Oscar's school. A record-breaking 4,855 people registered at Pitmaston Primary School over two days, with some queuing in the rain to try and save the life of the Worcester schoolboy with a rare leukaemia. It was the largest UK donor drive the charity had ever seen. Another 1,090 turned out to a second donor drive at Worcester's Guild Hall a week later. Gabriella Brooks from DKMS said, As a result of Oscar's appeal, six people who attended those recruitment events were matched with people who had blood cancer, which is a fantastic result. That figure will invariably grow larger. She also said events held for Oscar added 6,256 people to a register of potential stem cell donors, although the number of people inspired by his story to join the register elsewhere or by post will make that figure much higher. Pitmaston Primary in St John's organised their drive after Oscar's parents, Olivia Saxelby and Jamie Lee, revealed he had been diagnosed with T-cell acute lymphoblastic leukaemia. Miss Saxelby said, It's so heartwarming that so many came together for our little boy and with that more lives have been saved other than Oscar's. It's amazing and the feeling of helping to save another person's life must be incredible. Miss Saxelby described hearing a donor, not from Worcester's events, but that had been found for Oscar. She said, The sense of relief and hopefulness is one that we will never forget. We will forever be grateful for the love of Oscar's army. It has been the most terrific time of our lives, but knowing others out there were willing to help in any way they could was just awe-inspiring to us all. Pitmaston's head teacher, Kate Wilcox, said, This is absolutely incredible news that a further six people have benefited from the search for donors. I think no matter what happens in the rest of my my career, the Oscar stem cell drive is one of the proudest things I will ever ever have achieved. We were in a privileged position where we could facilitate such a big event that has now had that level of impact. To think this could be life-saving for other people is absolutely mind-blowing. Thank you to all the staff, all the volunteers, DKMS, the school's PTA, parents and also the local community. Everyone coming and helping in heavy rain, that's what made it possible. Louise White, organiser of the Guildhall event, said, I'm so pleased to hear that six more donors have been found, all because of Oscar. Hopefully more people will read this and also be inspired to register. Despite having a transplant, Oscar's leukaemia returned and he travelled to Singapore for pioneering CART cell therapy not available on the NHS. After a crowdfunding appeal via the Grace Kelly Childhood Cancer Trust, which raised £740,000. Although free from leukaemia, his parents say he is suffering from debilitating side effects of the treatment.
They hope he can now undergo a second transplant with his father as a donor to kickstart a new healthy immune system. If you're aged between 17 and 55 and in good health, please go to dkms.org.uk and request a swab kit. You simply swab the inside of your cheeks and send everything back to DKMS. You will then be on standby as a potential lifesaver. The headline on Tuesday, March the 3rd, Trust says A&E can't cope. The city's A&E department is not big enough to cope with demand, the Trust's chief executive has admitted, as he pleads for more money from the government to help build a bigger unit. Hospital Trust boss Matthew Hopkins said the lack of space in Worcester Royal Hospital was a major constraint, with the number of people attending A&E increasing by at least 8% year on year. Mr Hopkins, Chief Executive of Worcestershire Acute Hospital NHS Trust, said the hospital's A&E department was too small and that the Trust needed government money to make it bigger, particularly as the number of children attending A&E was rapidly reaching the limit whereby the hospital would need its own paediatric department. Mr Hopkins said, I think the long-standing nature of the space challenges and the overall capacity challenges have really been quite significant. Worcestershire Royal Hospital's A&E department was built for a specific number of thousands of attendees and we are seeing an 8% increase year on year. So now we're in a situation where the emergency department is too small and particularly we are now seeing paediatric attendances reaching the threshold which would require us to have a dedicated paediatric A&E department. He said addressing that would require sorry he said addressing that would require a complete rebuild of the hospital's A&E department. Worcestershire Royal Hospital A&E department was rated inadequate by the Care Quality Commission the CQC following an inspection last December because patients were waiting too long to be seen and not referred to specialists quickly enough. The hospital watchdog said some patients had waited for more than three hours at the A&E department after arriving by ambulance with the longest wait for a bed almost 24 hours. The A&E department was hit again with the worst possible ratings just six months after moving from inadequate to requiring improvement. The department had previously been in special measures for four years. CQC bosses hit the hospital with urgent enforcement powers to protect patients, which includes forcing the trust to clinically assess all patients arriving at Worcestershire Royal Hospital by ambulance within 15 minutes and increase the number of observations to make sure patients are referred to the most appropriate treatment areas as quickly as possible. Mr Hopkins, who has already written to Health Secretary Matt Hancock, asking for money to expand A&E, said he was working with other hospital chiefs with the support of the county's MPs to ensure the hospital had an A&E department that was the right size. Mr Hopkins said the hospital was putting in place several sticking plaster measures while discussing continued. He also said around 40 or 50 beds on average were occupied by people who did not need to be there. The latest plea for money would include building a paediatric emergency 
department as part of £40 million worth of improvements to the city's hospital and Alexandra Hospital in Redditch. A separate £29 million plan, which was awarded to the Trust in 2017, includes the building of a paediatric assessment unit at Worcester Royal, which the Trust hopes to have built within the next year, as well as the refurbishment of six operating theatres at the Alex. The region's hospital bosses were grilled by councillors over the inadequate rating at a health overview and scrutiny committee meeting at South, uh, sorry, at County Hall on Monday, March the 2nd. And these are the headlines from Wednesday, March the 4th. Police probe night attack, night, yeah, sorry, night attack on woman. Police are investigating after a woman was reportedly attacked from behind outside a community hub in Worcester. Hayley Price from Worcester posted on Facebook following the alleged attack, which took place in the early hours of Sunday, March the 1st, outside Warnden Community Centre. She said her attacker, which she described as being a man who was dressed all in black clothing, had his face covered, put his arm around her neck and attempted to drag her away. She posted on Facebook, just wanting to put a warning out there to all women and young girls in the early hours of Sunday morning after being out, I was attacked from behind by a man that was dressed in all black clothing and had his face covered. My neck, he tried to cover my neck and tried to drag me off, but I fought back so hard and luckily got him off me and he ran over the field. I don't want this to happen to anyone else, so please be careful when walking through Warnden Community Centre when it's dark and please don't walk through there alone. Please be careful and safe as the next person he tries this on might not be so lucky. City and County Councillor Kerry Stalker, who represents Warnden, used money from her divisional funds to install lights last November on the centre's car park as part of a scheme to encourage residents to take part in activities at the hub. Councillor Stalker said, This is really sad to hear about what happened to this lady. If the lights were on at the time, perhaps this wouldn't have happened. Councillor Joe Hodges, who also represents the area, said, It's an unusual thing to happen in Warnden. That sort of thing can happen anywhere in the city. The lights were installed in the car park to help people feel safe and to help them get to their cars, especially during dark winter nights. The residents and users of the community centre have been very grateful after the light installation. Councillor Hodges added, I have always advised my daughters and granddaughters to walk in a group and stick together. Generally, if you are out walking where there's no one about and you are going somewhere lonely, I would personally think you would be safer in a group. However, that said, everyone has the right to move where they want to go without being attacked. There should be no victim blame. Ruth Haywood, Chief Executive of Worcester Community Trust, the charity which manages Warnden Community Centre, confirmed that police had visited the centre to view the CCTV footage after receiving a report of the assault. She said, Police came to Warnden Community Centre to view the CCTV. However, there was nothing on the footage which showed the assault. 
The new night lights in the car park are absolutely fantastic and have made a massive difference to local residents. The feel of the place is a lot more positive. Police have confirmed the report was received by officers to an assault on Sunday, March the 1st in Shap Drive, Warndon. Anyone with information can call 101 and quote reference number 0460 of March the 1st, 2020. The headline for Thursday, March the 5th was Man Used Axe on Woman's Pet Dog. A man has been given a suspended prison sentence after destroying a Yorkshire Terrier by hitting him on the head with an axe. Michael Lingan, 52, was also banned for life from owning animals after admitting destroying the terrier in Worcester. A court heard Lingan, 52, of Northfield Street had struck the dog, which belonged to Tanya Bassett, on Friday, February the 28th. Lyndon admitted two charges, one of destroying the dog, which was the property of Miss Bassett, a woman he knew, and another of causing unnecessary suffering to a protected animal by striking it in the head with an axe. Magistrates said the offence was so serious they had to impose a sentence of 12 weeks in prison, suspended for 12 months. Lyndon must carry out 200 hours unpaid work within the next 12 months. He must also pay £135 costs and £122 victim surcharge. Lingan was also disqualified for life from owning or keeping all animals or being involved in any arrangement in which he could control or influence their care, made under Section 34 Animal Welfare Act 2006. He admitted the charges at Kidderminster Magistrates Court on Monday, March 2nd. An RSPCA spokeswoman said they were not aware of the case, which they described as really shocking. She added, I would encourage anyone who has concerns about the welfare of any animal to contact us or the police to investigate. And now some items that uh, you might find interesting um, of various sorts. Our local professionals and volunteers deserve great praise, says Harriet Baldwin, MP. My heart goes out to everyone who has been affected by the serious flooding following the recent storms. West Worcestershire has three major rivers running through it, the Severn, the Deem and the Avon, and flooding has been an inevitable fact of life from time immemorial. But in recent years, we have invested millions in making sure we are much more resilient during floods. In West Worcestershire, we have six permanent flood defence schemes at Pershaw, Powick, Uckinghall, Kemsey and two in Upton-upon-Severn. And the road through Ryle and along the new road in Worcester have been raised, keeping access open nearly all the time. There is more to do with a planning application going in for Seven Stoke flood, flood defences and I'm campaigning for permanent flood defences in Tenbury Wells and for the Hanley Road to be raised. Only last month I raised my continued uh, concerns about flooding in Tenbury Wells and Seven Stoke in Parliament. 
I have already written to formally ask the Secretary of State for the Environment to move these recent flood flooded communities to the top of their list. I think we also need to look at the height of the Poic Bund once again. As it overtopped this time, it was a manifesto commitment to add four billion pounds in permanent schemes in this Parliament, and I'd like to see some of that spent locally. On behalf of my constituents, I'd like to thank the professional teams who have worked round the clock to help us keep safe. The Environment Agency, the police, the fire service, the councils, local highways and the ambulance and air ambulance teams. The coordination has been outstanding and social media and local radio have been essential tools for sharing vital information. There have also been armies of volunteers who have come forward to help, manning emergency shelters, operating the river rescue services or just those who came out to lend a hand or offer someone a lift. It is at times like this we see the best in our fellow human beings and I am sure you will join me in saying thanks to everyone. Finally, please make sure you shop locally. The extra resilience and cash grants for flooded households and businesses has meant that lots of shops and businesses have stayed open or reopened quickly. All our local towns are open for business. An investigation has been launched after a woman claimed her family was served raw turkey at a city pub. Charlotte Archer claimed she visited the Toby Carvery in Bath Road on Sunday with her husband and their two young children and was served uncooked turkey. However, the restaurant manager has denied this, saying it was a cooked off-cut part of the turkey which shouldn't have been served. Manager Christy Waters has said she has received death threats as a result of the fallout. The restaurant has put robust procedures in place to ensure it consistently serves excellent plates of food to its guests and will be fully investigating what has happened. In a public Facebook post, Mrs Archer wrote, Tonight we visited Toby Carvery in Worcester as a last-minute decision. We've been here loads of times before and never had an issue, but tonight both me, hubby and the girls were served this turkey. Needless to say, we were all put off our dinner. The girls ate their veggies and we asked for the bill, minus mine and my husband's food, which was untouched, as we felt physically sick. Mrs Archer claimed she did not receive an apology nor a full refund. The post has been shared over 500 times and has the same number of comments, some of which mention General Manager Christy Waters by name. Ms Waters claims... This has had a devastating effect on her and her staff. She said, We don't use turkey crowns here. They have the wings attached. Sometimes the bits in between the breast and the wing can be quite gunky and sometimes pink. We do not serve this part and can only apologise that on this occasion they ended up on a guest's plate. The duty manager did apologise for this and explained it was not raw meat. All of our joints are temperature checked and we have very strict policies in place to ensure that all food is safe for consumption. We have a five-star record across all safety measures. This situation has been taken out of context due to one picture that shows meat of only an inch wide and none of the white breast slices that accompanied it. For this, I have received death threats via messenger plus number... 
sorry, plus numerous other threats of violence. Regardless of the circumstance, no person deserves to be treated this way. We have an incredibly friendly and hard-working team here that are all very saddened by this. I've had to delete all social media to restrict the abuse, but I am still getting messages, including comments of violence. The situation was not as described. A Toby Carvery Worcester spokesman said, We appreciate all feedback and will be taking the guests' comments on board about their meal and overall experience. We also do not tolerate any sort of abusive behaviour made towards guests and our team. We take these incidents very seriously and will be fully investigating what has happened. A business owner in Worcester City Centre, concerned about disruption, says he is hoping for the best after roadworks turned up outside his premises. Richard Broomhill, the owner of Chocolate Deli, said it had been very quiet since Seven Trent roadworks popped up in New Street earlier this week. So far the road has been close to traffic with machinery brought in. The roadworks are part of Phase 2 of STW's 1.25 million project to replace ageing water pipes and follow recent work in the Shambles and Pump Street. Gareth Mead from STW said, We're already managing to complete the majority of the work and now we just need to make sure the rest of our network is in the same top condition by doing the last bit of the project. This work will see new water pipes for the city to make sure the chance of pipes bursting and causing problems are reduced. But don't worry, we don't need to do anything where we've already been, so we won't be digging up the lovely new paving at all. We'll just be continuing to replace the pipes from where we finished last year. Mr Broomhill said he wanted to stress that they were still open for business as he feared people would stay away. It had been deathly quiet and I wondered how much national news is having an effect too, he said. We were given a date before, but they didn't start on time. They put a card through the door last week, so at least they're starting on time. All we can do is take a deep breath and hope for the best. He added that he was hoping it would not take much time to complete. Meanwhile, Aaron MacDonald from Retroid's Arcade Bar said they had not even made been made aware there would be roadworks. What do you expect from these companies, he said. The whole town has been quiet recently. I just hope it doesn't take as long as the shambles work. The Worcester News asked STW how long the roadworks is expected to last, but no one responded before our deadline. A millionaire Malvern businesswoman throttled her 75-year-old mother and tried to bite her 76-year-old father's hand during a bitter family row about money, a court heard. Rachel Tudor, aged 49, a director of Advantage Chemicals Limited of Spring Lane South Malvern, attacked her mum, Janet Tudor, in the home the family were sharing last October, magistrates heard. Tudor, a stud manager of Chapel Farm, Chapel Lane, Red Marley, denied assaulting her mother but was found guilty after a two-day trial. Magistrates heard, although Tudor had been left a £4 million business by her partner when he died of a heart attack in 2014, she had cash flow problems because she was asset rich but cash poor. 
Her parents, Robert and Janet, had loaned her £280,000 in August 2018 when they sold their house as part of a downsizing plan. They went to live with their daughter until the smaller home they had bought had been renovated, Janet Tudor told the court. The defendant assured her parents the loan would be repaid within four to six weeks, the court heard, but nothing was forthcoming. Eventually, Tudor repaid them 124000 and on the day of the alleged assault gave her parents a cheque for the balance and confronted them, said the prosecution. In evidence, Janet Tudor said, I came downstairs after I heard Robert and Rachel having an argument and she started shouting and screaming at me. She said, You've had your money now. Get out and give me your key. I told her that she would get what she deserved. My daughter then flew at me. It was utter mayhem. She put both her hands around my throat. She was trying to get the house key from my husband and her arms were flailing all over the place. Mr Tudor, in evidence, said, Rachel bought a property at auction, but she had no funds to pay for it, so we lent her the money. We sold our property to downsize and went to live with my daughter while it was being renovated. On the afternoon of the incident, he had gone downstairs to help his granddaughter with a horse box, he said. Rachel thrust a cheque for £150,000 at me and told me and my wife to get out. She demanded the key and I refused, keeping it in my right hand, said Mr Tudor. She lunged at me and grabbed my hand. She tried to bite my hand, but I moved it away. Then she grabbed my wife, who was behind me, around the neck with both hands. I couldn't believe what was happening. My wife fell to the floor and I ushered my wife out of the kitchen door. Mr Tudor broke down and burst into tears in the witness box. His granddaughter, who was sitting in the public gallery at the back of the court, ran across and comforted him as the magistrates rose and retired for a short break. The magistrates heard Janet Tudor suffered reddening to the neck and an arm injury and was taken to Cheltenham General Hospital after the assault. When Tudor gave evidence in her own defence, prosecuting barrister Matthew McCabe suggested to her, During the incident, your mother said to you that you would get what you deserve, and you lost it and took hold of her with both hands by the throat. Tudor replied, That did not happen. In answer to the questions put by defence lawyer Judith Kelly, Tudor said, my mother reached over my father and punched me in the face, drawing blood from a split lip. I had given them a cheque, and after my mother hit me, I just wanted them out of my home. Tudor denied grabbing her mother by the throat and said all she wanted was her house keys back and for her parents to leave. I did not want them back after my mother hit me, she said. My mother shouted, let me at her, Bob, I'm going to kill her but my father restrained her and they walked away to their vehicle outside the property. She added, There was a lot of jealousy from some of my friends and from my mother and father about my inheritance. The magistrates found Tudor guilty of assault and they imposed a conditional discharge for 18 months. They also prohibited Tudor from contacting her parents for two years. Residents have complained about a dangerous pothole in the centre of Rainbow Hill, which drivers are swerving to avoid.
Adrian Gregson, Worcester City Ward Councillor for Rainbow Hill, has said it is an ongoing problem. He said, we do have many potholes along Rainbow Hill, despite it being an arterial road into the heart of the city, and it seems to be rather neglected. Firstly, potholes are the responsibility of the County Council. They must prioritise the maintenance of the highways, and I feel like sometimes these priorities are misplaced. They also tend to opt for the quick fix, which saves money and time in the short term. But if potholes are not dealt with correctly, they just come back again. I have tried and tried to get Rainbow Hill properly maintained and have not got very far. I advise people to log on to the County Council website themselves and report the potholes as and when they appear. Maybe that way something can be done about them. Worcester News recently reported that Worcestershire County Council paid over £30,000 last year in compensation after drivers damaged their vehicles due to potholes. In total, £31,139 was paid out to claimants out of the taxpayer's pocket. Potholes are caused by water that seeps into tarmac and then expands as temperatures drop below freezing during the winter, cracking the road surface. Driving over one can jolt and damage a vehicle's suspension, affect the condition of wheels and in extreme cases even puncture or burst tyres. A Worcestershire County Council spokesperson said, This has now been reported to our liaison engineer for the area and a site inspection has been requested. We would always encourage residents to report any potholes to us using the report IT function on our website, worcestershire.gov.uk report it. Worcester City Council will need to roll out food waste collections to more than 40,000 homes under government plans to stop leftovers going to landfill, figures show. The Environment Bill outlines plans for food waste to be collected separately from all households by 2023 with a campaign group calling Uneaten Food in the Country an Environmental Nightmare of Epic Proportions. An analysis of data from waste reduction charity Waste and Resources Action Programme, who support the proposals, shows the estimated 45,000 households in Worcester do not get their kitchen scraps picked up by the council. This means Worcester City Council along with around half of all English local authorities, will have to introduce a new food waste collection within three years. Typically, food waste is collected from houses using a caddy in the kitchen and putting out the scraps in another container outside for collection, or it can be combined with garden waste. Flats pose more of a challenge, with some given communal bins to empty their caddies into. A spokeswoman for the Department for Environment, Food and Rural Affairs said they will be working closely with local authorities to end confusion over household recycling. She added, nobody wants to see good, nutritious food going to waste and harming our environment, which is why we've committed to eliminating food waste from landfill by 2030. The Local Government Association said it supported ambitions to reduce food waste, but spokesman David Renard said decisions over separate collections should be a local decision. He added, 
Councils would need to be fully funded to meet new costs from introducing weekly food waste collections, regardless of whether or not they have been providing a food waste service. Karina Millstone, Executive Director of Food Waste Campaigners Feedback, said, with over 10 million tonnes of food going to waste per year in the UK, food waste is an environmental nightmare. A wheelchair user is outraged at the state of a pavement in the city after she was sent flying head over heels after hitting a deep crack on the pavement. Nikita Thompson was travelling on the pavement next to Bromyard Road in St John's when her front wheels hit the crack. The momentum threw her out and she landed on her face, leaving her dazed. Nikita said, I remember thinking I was going to throw up, but that didn't happen. Then I remembered looking at my camera that was round my neck and then my glasses. I focused on the pain and curled in on myself until my my mum, Annie and someone else picked me up. I tried to remember to thank people but I don't remember if I did at all. I broke my glasses in half due to that ditch on Bromyard Road which cost me £140 for repairs that I couldn't afford. I've lived in Worcester for 22 years. You learn to adapt and learn to avoid these things, but accidents happen. Richard Oodle has been amazing and supportive. He's a lovely human. A spokesman for Worcestershire County Council Highway said, A site inspection was carried out on February the 2nd, and a work order has been raised to repair the curb. We'll be contacting Miss Thompson to discuss her concerns. However, Worcestershire County Council councillor Richard Oodle said it was too little too late. He added, Clearly there's an issue for a number of residents about the state of our footpaths in the area. The footpath damage in Nikita's case didn't just happen overnight and I think what has happened to her is beyond the pale. Many of the footpaths are in a dangerous condition. I want to see more frequent checks to road and footpath services. Residents need to play their part and report any defects, as the council can only fix what they know about. Do you have any issues with the state of footpaths where you live? A visually impaired man has said the Worcestershire Parkway station is not suitable for people who are blind. Dan Thompson from Worcester has criticised the new railway station near Norton, Worcester, which opened on February the 23rd. He said the signage in the station is poor. He claims it's too small and unclear, which led to him struggling to locate the ticket office inside the station. Mr Thompson, aged 54, said, Inside the station, had people not been milling around a member of staff near the ticket office, I wouldn't have realised it was there, and this is my biggest issue from a site perspective. Signage is just poor. Whether that is directing you to the correct platforms or identifying things like the toilets or ticket office. It's all too small or relies on, in the case of the toilets, stylized symbols rather than words. Larger and clearer signage would help and would enable easier access for information. The screens with the train times on need to be lowered as it's so high and I couldn't see the train times. When you have something that is brand new that cost almost £25 million, the station should be up to scratch. 
A spokesman for Worcestershire County Council said, We welcome feedback from customers about the station, which so far this has been extremely positive. The station was designed and built to comply with all the relevant accessibility standards, including the Department for Transport Code of Practice, design standards for accessible railway stations and the Persons of Reduced Mobility Technical Specification for Interoperability. The number of rough sleepers in Worcester has fallen, according to government figures. New figures show 19 people were found to be sleeping rough on the streets of Worcester, 15 men and 3 women, all aged over 26. It compares to a total of 24 rough sleepers counted in Worcester in November 2018. However, the chief executive of Mag's Day Centre, Mel Kirk, says the figures are never an accurate representation of those sleeping on the street. She said it is well known that the figures are never accurate and only provide a snapshot of rough sleeping on any given night. Worcester City Council released the figures and said it was a partner in a range of services in the city and county that support people who sleep rough. A spokesman said a bid by the council recently secured government funding of more than £670,000 to help rough sleepers across Worcester and Worcestershire to come off the streets. The City Council and the neighbouring districts, district councils work with organisations including Caring for the Community and People, Mag's Day Centre and St Paul's Hostel and local housing providers to support rough sleepers. Homelessness charity St Mungo's said the figures are simply not good enough and called on the government to invest an extra £1 billion a year in services for the homeless, while housing charity Shelter says rough sleeping is just the tip of the iceberg of homelessness in the UK. Polly Neat, Shelter Chief Executive, said it's good news if fewer people are facing the trauma of sleeping on the streets, but the number of people sleeping rough remains well over double what it was in 2010. John Sparks, Chief Executive of Homeless Charity Crisis, said to truly end rough sleeping, the government must recognise the intolerable pressure many in society are under with low incomes, high rents and a lack of affordable housing pushing people into homelessness. The reality is that this problem will persist until we build the social homes we desperately need and restore housing benefit to a level where it covers the cost of rents. Mel Kirk added, Worcester City Services and voluntary groups continue to work together to end rough sleeping. Our aim is to make rough sleeping and sofa surfing rare, infrequent and non-recurring. We now have some um, sports articles to read to you. And this first one is about um, Rugby Union and Worcester Warriors. Warriors back row forward Marco Mama is set to miss up to six weeks of action after suffering a torn muscle in his foot. The 28-year-old limped off the Welford Road turf towards the end of the 14-8 Gallagher Premiership defeat and becomes another player to add to the injury list. The Zimbabwean has struggled with injuries in the last 12 months, including almost losing his right leg when suffering compartment syndrome, a severe dead leg in the game against Gloucester in April 2019. 
He required four operations in a 10-day period to save it and suffered a recurrence of the injury against Exeter Chiefs in November, but returned into action against Saracens in January (coughs) and has been involved in the squad ever since. Worcester Director of Rugby, Alan Solomon, said, Marco has played superbly, but Sam Lewis did really well when he came on, and we still have G.J. Van Veltz, Tom Dodd and Caleb Montgomery, so we have the players to deal with it. The good news from the press conference yesterday was that wing Tom Howe's return to training, and while he will be available for selection this weekend, Solomons admits he will need introducing to the game slowly. The Warriors boss said he will be back in training this week and available for selection, but he wasn't play, hasn't played for six weeks and Nick is g- going incredibly well. Solomons also said he was optimistic about Ted Hill and Graham Kitchener recovering from their injuries to feature on Friday night against Northampton Saints at Six Ways. Hill played in the second row on Saturday whilst carrying a knock to his hip and Kitchener had to be removed for a bang to the head. Locke Anton Bresler was replaced in the 20th minute in that game and Solomons ruled him out of this week's game saying he wasn't looking too flash at the moment. Elsewhere, centre Ashley Beck is not going to be fit in time as he continues to struggle with a shoulder problem and Solomon's also added updates on wings Dean Hammond and Ed Fido and prop Callum Black. Ash isn't 100%, Solomon's explained. He isn't right. If he doesn't play this weekend, he gets next week off as well as there is no game, so that would be good for him. There is no point pressing him for a game where he is not right and Millsy, that is Ryan Mills, is a terrific player and doing well. Dean is going well but still not taking part in practice but by the end of March he and Ed, Fido, will be back. Callum Black probably in the next block of games because he's now running and the boot is off. There are only two games in the next block. I am certain... Certainly positive about Wasps away and hopefully he will be fit for Gloucester, but we will have to wait and see. Warriors tackle Saints this week, looking to earn their first league win in 2020. This is a soccer report. Droitwich Spa quickly took to their temporary home with a 5-0 beating of Worley in West Midland League Division 1. The tabletoppers played at Malvern Town's HD Anywhere Community Stadium with their usual base of Starport's Walsh's Meadow having been flooded. Worley keeper Jimmy Walker denied Connor Collins and Jordan Cox early on before Spa went ahead on six minutes. Cox latched onto a through ball and executed a classy finish across Walker into the bottom corner. By the 15-minute mark, it was 2-0 thanks to a low drive from 18 yards out by the informed Brad Burgess. Cox suffered an injury midway through the half and Walker continued to put on a star show. But Spa effectively killed the game off eight minutes into the second period with a close-range finish from James Lemon as the ball was deflected onto his head from a corner. Burgess netted his second when through one-to-one 
went through one-on-one with Walker and Collins rounded off the scoring as he again broke the offside trap to finish well. Pershaw Town beat the meanest defence in the top ten tiers of English football in a 1-1 home draw with Wolverhampton Casuals in the Premier Division. The fourth-placed Cassies have now shipped just seven goals in 21 West Midlands Football League Premier Division outings. Pershaw are seventh after Sam Clark scored in Tuesday's draw after netting a brace in last Saturday's 2-1 win at Bilston Town, including a 90th-minute winner. Littleton's home game with Bewdley Town was postponed due to a pitch, waterlogged pitch. Jack Downing put Stourport Swifts ahead on 50 minutes at Highgate United in the Midland League Premier Division. But Aaron Brown's penalty and Connor Doyle's winner, eight minutes from time, secured a 2-1 success for Highgate. Richard Greaves, two, Keanu Cooper and Cameron Peters guided Westfields past hosts Bromyard Town 4-0 in the Herefordshire FA Challenge Cup quarter-finals. Wellington saw off Ludlow Colts 4-0 at the same stage. Hereford Lads Club were held 0-0 at home by Shortwood United in Hellenic League Division 1 West. And this is about football as well. Worcester Raiders. Worcester Raiders' Claines Lane ground was vandalised as thieves cut and stole power cables and forced last night's game with Shifnal Town to be postponed. Raiders West Midlands League Premier Division fixture with tabletoppers Shifnal was set to be the first match to be played under floodlights at the ground, but that is now on hold as West Mercia Police investigate the incident. Power cables around the ground were cut and stolen, leaving the club's changing rooms without power, meaning the game could not go ahead. The matter is now in police hands and club chiefs were asked not to comment further whilst the investigation gets underway. <coughs> Excuse me. The club confirmed the news on their Twitter account. The post read, All the hard work at Clanes Lane to get the game on was in vain. The ground has been vandalised and power cables cut and stolen. We gave up our free time and this happens. We dig deep and go again. Apologies to Shifnal Town, but it's out of our hands. The Worcestershire FA owned Clanes Lane Worcestershire FA owned Clanes Lane ground is going through redevelopment work, meaning eleventh placed Raiders have only played two games there during the current campaign. Worcester City are also due to move in permanently next season in a long awaited return home. Raiders were allowed back to the ground in January, but recent waterlogging has meant that they are still yet to hold a game under floodlights at the venue. Carl Gormley's side were bidding to bounce back from Friday's disappointing 2-2 draw with bottom-of-the-league Dudley Sports at Morven Town's HD Anywhere Community Stadium, but must now wait for the game to be rearranged. Raiders' next fixture is on Saturday at Wem Town, where they will look to keep their faint top four hopes alive. Uh, and that's the end of the news. Um, Mums can travel for free this Mother's Day with West Midlands Railway, the train company spokesman said, to help celebrate the incredible superwoman in our lives. West Midlands Railway is giving all mums free train travel across the Travel to Work network on Mother's Day. 
There's no greater gift than the gift of time, so why not make the most of this special Mother Day's, Mother's Day offer? Sorry, Treat your mum to a fun-filled day out with all the family to some of the city's most visit venues. The offer is valid on any West Midland Railway or London Northwestern Railway service within the West Midlands. Travel to work area. This special offer gives mum free train travel when accompanied with their children, regardless of age. There are even more treats to be had with West Midlands Railway's combined partner offers to give the special lady in your life fantastic discounts to a range of local attractions. Spend your afternoon in an amazing underwater world at the National Sea Life Centre, Birmingham. Keep the little ones entertained at the Legoland Discovery Centre. Make a splash at the UK's newest indoor water park, the Wave in Coventry. Or let the family's imaginations run free at Coventry's Transport Museum. Thanks to these additions, must-have mums go free offers. Johnny Wiseman, Customer Experience Director at West Midlands Railway, says Mother's Day is the perfect opportunity to show your mum just how much you care and here at West Midlands Railway we wanted to recognise the amazing job mums do with this special Mums Go Free offer. Combined with our fantastic partner offers from top local attractions, you can treat your mum to the ultimate day out with the family this year. Tickets can be obtained from March the 2nd to March the 22nd across the network and are valid for travel on Mother's Day, Sunday the 22nd of March only. Floods of biblical proportions and a virus raging out of control. Sound familiar? However, this was not the late winter of 2020, but Worcester in January 1996. Today's coronavirus and the flooding and storms which have swept across the UK in recent weeks echo a bizarre happening 44 years ago. Then, the Worcester bug, as it came to be known, caused acute stomach pains and diarrhoea and laid low more than 30,000 people, about half the city's 68,000 population at the time. The epidemic made national press headlines as experts investigated the possibility it had been carried in by the severe floods and hit the city immediately before the outbreak. The first cases were reported on the morning of December 20th, 1965, when Dr Godfrey O'Donnell, Worcester's medical officer of health, received two telephone calls. A school in the eastern part of the city had serious absenteeism and so had a large factory in the same area. Both, both pupils and workers were sick. After rapid inquiries, Dr O'Donnell found that people in other parts of the city were also affected. As Worcester was then facing its second peak flooding of December, suspicion fell on the water supply. The Public Health Department immediately took faeces samples from patients and samples from the water pipes. The water supply tested normal, but health officials discovered that thousands of people had been buying up vast quantities of pills and stomach mixtures since well before December the 20th, in some cases as far back as December the 10th, when the first peak floods occurred. In fact, some chemists had run out of supplies. Strangely, tests in neighbouring towns like Upton-upon-Severn and Pershaw 
showed the only people affected were those who had commuted from Worcester. After extensive testing, the water supply was given a complete all-clear and the culprit turned out to be a respiratory virus known as Coxapical B3. Dr O'Donnell explained, during the pre-Christmas period, many people were out shopping and at parties and added to this, those working in factories and large organisations spread the infection to epidemic proportions. The virus first became known in the New England town of Coxcaki, America, in 1949, and there has never been an epidemic, an epidemic of this magnitude or of this virus or any other similar condition in this country before. Exactly what caused the Worcester bug was never really pinned down. Within a month it had gone, but as well as its effect on the local population, the pressure of investigating it also dampened down the Irish wit of the affable Dr O'Donnell, who once announced to the City Council, I have pleasure in presenting my 10th annual report. Although a paperback largely concerned with sex, violence and births and deaths, it is unlikely to excite the purient mind. Worcester's historic Guildhall has a new option with a twist to offer to couples considering tying the knot in 2020 and beyond. The City Council now has a licence to conduct marriage ceremonies in the Guildhall's cells, an atmospheric option for those who want a wedding with a difference. This week saw the first wedding ceremony in the Guildhall cells take place on Tuesday. More and more couples are looking for a setting which is a little different, fun and quirky, in which to celebrate their big day, explains Guildhall event organiser Amy Allen. The Guildhall cells offer a truly unique setting, which your guests will certainly never forget. They are perfect for small intimate weddings through to functions for several people. In the 19th century, the Guildhall was used as the city's court. Prisoners were kept in the cells to await their fate after sentencing had taken place. A number of 21st century visitors have reported hearing moaning and screaming noises emitting from the cells, which is reported as being one of the seven most haunted sites in Worcestershire. For those who prefer a more traditional wedding, the Guildhall also offers six rooms in the main part of the building, including the opulent assembly room, courtroom and council chamber. For further information on booking a wedding or event at the Guildhall, including rates, go to www.worcesterguildhall.co.uk or you can contact the Guildhall reception on 01905 722308. Um, are you getting married or have you married in an unusual venue? Call reporter Jessica Charles on 01905 742206. A man stole meat, cheese and lager during a theft spree. Ricky Jankowski admitted stealing meat and cheese from Aldi and two bottles of Stella Artois from Sainsbury's in Droitwich on January the 5th and 15th. Prosecutor Rhiannon Lucas told the court on January the 5th the defendant entered Sainsbury's and was seen putting two bottles of Stella Artois into, his, into an Asda bag. A member of staff addressed him and asked him to give them back. 
She says she received one from the defendant but cannot remember if he gave the other one back. The court heard how the second offence took place on January the 15th when Jankowski of Shepherd's Place, Droitwich, entered the Audi branch and began putting various meat and cheese items into his basket before fleeing with the goods. Jankowski, who has 45 theft offences on his record, pleaded guilty to the two counts of theft and the court was told he admitted during a police interview that he intended to sell the meat and cheese for drugs. Paul Stanley, representing Jankowski, said he is now 35 and you will see from his history that he, he has in more recent years stayed out of trouble. Mr Stanley told the court Jankowski is a fully qualified plumber and had been living in Scotland between 2014 and 2018, during which time he was not charged with any offences. His most recent sentence was a conditional discharge in 2018. Mr Stanley added they, the thefts, were not very sophisticated because he is seen on the cameras and apprehended by staff before leaving. In the first theft, the lager was recovered. The 35-year-old admitted the thefts when he appeared before magistrates in Worcester on February 27th, and Chair of the Bench Sarah Murray handed Jankowski a two-year conditional discharge as well as ordering him to repay the £89.50 which the meat was valued at. No application was made for costs due to Jankowski already owing more than £2,000 in existing court debts. Here's another bit of nostalgia. <clears throat> While the flooding of the past fortnight has caused widespread disruption, at this time, two years ago, Worcestershire was feeling the effects of the beast from the east. Much of the UK, including Worcestershire, was hit by the ferocious snowstorm. Many schools and roads were closed across Worcestershire as the snow and ice made travelling almost impossible in many areas. Hostels in Worcester were at maximum capacity due to the number of rough sleepers who found shelter from freezing temperatures, while persistent snow and ice brought disruption to Worcestershire schools and roads. Mag's Day Centre hosted a night shelter which ran out of beds on three separate nights. St Paul's Hostel in Tallow Hill, Worcester, had been full apart from on two days since the end of October. Jonathan Sutton, chief executive of St Paul's Hostel, said at the time, this is an extreme weather condition. It's the worst winter in my memory. The demand and the pressure it's placing on us is the worst I've seen. If homelessness is to continue to rise, as reports say it will, over five to ten years, how are we going to cope with another event like this? Warnings were issued about dangerous driving conditions from the police who attended an incident in which one car came off the road in Cowley Road on Malvern Hill and ended up on a rock. Temperatures struggled to get above minus one and at times felt like minus ten due to the wind chill factor. 420 trees are to be planted next weekend as a village attempts to become carbon neutral. People living in Hanley Swan are taking on the challenge, planting trees at the Grange, Robert's End, after the village made the commitment to become carbon neutral in just six years in November. Land has been made available by Howard Hutchings and the trees are being donated by Steve Harvey of the Let's Plant Com Company. The trees will be planted on Saturday, March the 7th, starting at 10am. Work will carry on all day. 
Planting trees was one of the methods discussed at a meeting held in the village to discuss different ways to make it carbon neutral by 2025. Villagers have joined other towns and district councils in committing to the move, but most have given themselves a longer time frame until 2035 or 2050. More than 50 people of all ages turned up for the meeting on November the 28th to hear guests speak on various topics including greener energy methods for housing, tree planting and different options for reducing the carbon footprint of the village. Also on the agenda were the advantages and disadvantages of the different greener methods of heating the home, such as biomass boilers, and a discussion around transport and having a car club which would see residents share cars to reduce traffic on the roads. After the meeting, there was a panel discussion from the various speakers with questions from the audience. Topics raised included planting trees, and reusing plastic more effectively. Neighbours of a house they call a disgrace say they want the owner to do something to sort it or the council to take enforcement action. One told us the house in Stalls Farm Road, Droitwich, has got so bad a marquee recently blew into their garden from the property. But the house's owner, Lyndon Powell, has told us he is working to restore the property and said he was sad to hear neighbours had complained. A neighbour who did not wish to be named said, It started under a previous owner but has got worse now. It is an eyesore. It is an absolute disgrace. There are fires going on. In the high winds recently, the marquee poles were banging on a fence all night, keeping us awake all night. And then, one night, it came over onto my garden, so we had to push it back. I counted, I contacted our housing association, but to be fair, they could do nothing as it is a private property. It is a complete mess. Another neighbour highlighted the issues they had seen there over the years, pointing out the long-running building work going on, with bricks and wood left about, greenery overgrowing, fears there could be rats, and that the guttering had not been done properly. Mr Powell confirmed to us he hasn't been living at the property, but had been getting work done on it. I don't want to antagonise anybody, I don't want to cause any issues, but I have had a lot of negativity about what I'm trying to do, he said. I took it on when it was in a poor state. I'm going to restore it to a better state than it was. It has taken time, to be fair, it has not been an easy process. I've had tools stolen from there, which has cost me money. I put fencing up, which the neighbours couldn't afford to do, even though it was on their land. I take responsibility. It will be fixed. I'm to get it all wrapped up this year. Bruce Lomax, Principal Housing Officer at Witchhaven District Council, said, We have no record of any complaints on our system regarding the property. However, we are more than happy to make contact with the owner to better understand the issues and consider the options available to resolve the situation. Four leap year babies were born. They were born at Worcestershire Royal Hospital on Saturday, February the 29th. Among them was Harmony Sophia Toombs, born at 4.40am to Gemma Newell and Martin Toombs from Evesham. Miss Newell, who has two other children, said she was born five weeks and one day early.
I had an issue with my placenta. It was in a weird position and caused a bleed, so I was rushed into the hospital on Friday at 1pm and admitted to the ward so the medical staff could keep an eye on me. I'm just so pleased that she's doing well and a good weight at £5. She doesn't need any oxygen and the incubator she is sleeping in is just to keep her warm. I'm looking forward to us going home. I do miss my own bed. A hospital bed just doesn't feel the same. She added, we've decided to celebrate her birthday on March the 1st. It will be cruel to only celebrate her birthday every four years, but we will know her real birthday makes her extra special. Around the world, about 5 million babies are born on February the 29th, when the date comes around every four years. The Bell Inn in <clears throat> St John's Worcester has been a popular watering hole for decades, so I decided to find out a bit more about it from those who know it best. It was a courthouse before 1830, after which time it became a pub, serving the community after a hard day's graft. Until the middle of the 19th century, St John's was a village and a separate entity from Worcester, and the area still has that village feel. Angela Freeman took over the running of the pub around a year ago, after a previous career working in home care management. Angela said, Since I've taken over, we updated the beer garden and regulars donated items and helped with the reworking of the rear area. At the heart of the place is the customers. They give it life. It's a friendly place, and if anyone walks in for the first time, we get chatting to them, and they then tend to become regulars. We have a good range of local beers, as we want to support local breweries. I know everyone by name, and they know me. I love working here. I got a drink and began chatting at the bar with Geoffrey Yeomans, who has been drinking at the pub for more than 40 years. He works at Narraway's Butcher Shop and Worcestershire County Cricket Club during the cricket season. Mr Yeoman said, if cricket or football fans ask me where is a good place to get a drink, I'll tell them this pub. At one time, the side rooms were shops selling pretty much everything, as well as the main room being a pub, so it was a focus for the area. I can remember coming here as a young man playing card games in this very side room we're sitting in. Angela has really made the place her own, and she's a really good manager, and she's made it nice by putting pictures up all around. Prices are good. My drinks cost just over £3, so I'm happy. You can buy alcohol at the supermarket and drink at home, but I come out to be social, as I enjoy chatting to people and seeing my friends. Chris Cunningham has been a regular for more than 10 years. Chris said, it's one of the few pubs that has stood the test of time. There's never any trouble here, and it's my local watering hole. It's people that make a good pub. Jenny Jackson said, I've been working here for 10 years, and I just love coming here every day and seeing the regulars like Chris. It's a place where women can feel safe if they come in on their own, and everyone is so friendly. The pub is apparently haunted by a ghost spectre heard by some of the bar staff, possibly because of its former use, as not just a courthouse, but public hangings took place nearby. From Beirut to Worcester's Huntingdon Hall, the power folk pioneers, known as the Trials of Cato, are heading this way. In fact, they will be raising the roof of the hall on Wednesday, March the 11th. 
This is followed. This follows a remarkable 2019, which saw the band transform from buskers into BBC two,、um, Radio Two Folk Award winners. A spokesman said. Fresh from a frantic year touring their award-winning debut album, Hide and Hair, in the UK, North America, and Europe, the Trials of Cato are descending on venues across the UK to debut new material from their hotly anticipated second album, due out later this year. The band formed in Beirut, Lebanon, but within a year of returning to the UK, had gained the attention of the likes of Keris Matthews, BBC Six Music, and Mark Radcliffe, BBC Radio Two. In early 2019, they won Best Emerging Artist at the inaugural Wales Folk Awards, and within six months, they were double BBC Radio Two Folk Award nominees. Their debut, Hide and Hair, was voted best album by the BBC Radio Two listeners at the 2019 Folk Awards. Gains frequent national airplay and has cemented their reputation as one of the most exciting acts on the UK folk scene. They have even been described as the Sex Pistols of folk. You can phone for tickets on o one nine o five six double one four two seven. People have stayed away from a Worcester fundraiser after discovering guest speaker Mike Tindall had just returned from coronavirus-hit Italy. The former England rugby player, who is married to the Queen's granddaughter Zara Tindall, was guest speaker at a charity event at Six Ways, hosted by St Richards, which raised twenty-four thousand pounds. Mr. Tindall returned from the town of Bormio in the virus-hit Lombardy region last week. A spokesman for Mr. Tindall said he had been following official government and health advice, but as he does not currently have any symptoms, he would not be going into self-isolation. <clears throat> Herefordshire and Worcestershire Chamber of Commerce was due to host a table for guests at the event. However, after hearing the news, the majority took the decision not to attend. A spokesman said the Chamber of Commerce was due to host a table for guests at the event. However, in the light of the information that was available and sought at the time, the chamber felt it appropriate to consult with its guests and give them the opportunity to make their own decision as to whether to attend. The majority of our invited businesses each have their own policies as large companies in relation to COVID-19 and reducing the risk of contracting the virus. Therefore, on balance, given that Mr. Tindall had been in Bormio, Lombardy, in northern Italy, where there have been cases of coronavirus, the majority of businesses took the decision not to attend. We are delighted, however, that the night was an outstanding success, and look forward to continue supporting events in the two counties. Tricia Cavell, fundraising director at St Richard's Hospice, said, "We held a Q and A event with Mike Tindall on Thursday evening, which raised money to support the free care we provide to patients and their families across Worcestershire." <coughs> on the morning of the event, we became aware of media reports relating to Mr Tindall's recent holiday in northern Italy. Mr Tindall's team were immediately in touch to confirm that having been Not been to any of the areas in lockdown, he was following government advice and also remained well in himself and symptom-free.
Before the event took place, we made it a priority to contact guests who had booked tickets to ensure they were fully informed of the situation before attending. A city hotel has opened its doors to Worcester residents who have been forced to leave their homes due to extensive flooding across the county. The Founds Hotel is currently providing 12 rooms to flood victims who have been referred to the hotel by Worcester City Council and Sanctuary Housing. Assistant Manager Julie Merrick said, I have been here for 14 years and I have never seen flooding to this extent before. We are very sympathetic to those who have lost their homes and belongings and are very happy to be able to accommodate them. Despite everything they have been through, they are really lovely people you have to have staying with us. We are getting to know them all quite well now at dinner and breakfast and such. The hotel is not currently affected by flooding, unlike the Seven View Hotel and the Diglis Hotel. She added, Our thoughts are with the other independent hotels that have been affected, especially those at the Diglis. We work closely with them and they are going through a fair amount of turmoil. The chefs here at the Founds made, made them some cakes and took them over there just to show that we were thinking of them. We are trying to keep everything as normal as we can. We don't know how long this will last. We just have to keep watching the river levels and listening to the advice from the council. Aid Cartwright, 50, and his family's family were forced to leave their Diglis Avenue home when it flooded um, and it was apparent that the flood would increase. They have been at the Founds for four days and he said, We are managing, but it is a difficult time and living in one room together for 24 hours a day is not that much fun. A plan to introduce fines for feeding girls, aggressive begging and dangerous cycling in the town centre could finally be introduced. Worcester City Council wants to introduce a public space protection order, a PSPO, for the city centre, which would mean a £100 fine would be handed out to anybody seen aggressively begging, feeding girls or cycling or skateboarding dangerously. The council had a, held a 12-week public consultation in March and April last year, but a decision to move ahead with the plan was delayed in October over concerns about the wording of the order and how it would be properly enforced. Councillors will be asked next Tuesday, that's March the 10th, to approve a further month-long public consultation over introducing fines for what it has deemed the three biggest concerns for the public. Feeding girls, aggressive begging and dangerous cycling. Councillor Lynn Denham, Vice-Chairman of the Community Committee, said, Councillors and the public have different views on these proposals but we all want to make sure that Worcester's city centre offers a safe and pleasant environment. The latest report to the Communities Committee and the draft PSPO have been carefully written, making it clear that a zero-tolerance approach will not be taken. In many cases, I think that should be will be taken, sorry. In many cases, issuing a fixed penalty notice would be a last resort, after an individual had repeatedly failed to change their behaviour or engage with support on offer. Several options were put forward during the first consultation last year, which could have resulted in fines for offences including urinating and defecating in public, being found under the influence of drugs and legal highs and general begging. 
the council has only decided to move ahead with the fines for feeding gulls, aggressive begging and dangerous cycling and skateboarding. The council has already put aside £60,000 as part of its budget for the next year to hire two new enforcement officers to hand out fines when the PSPO is in place. Worcester Operatic and Dramatic um, Society are preparing for the next production, which will be Kips. It's already been a busy time for Wads. The Society produces three shows a year at the Swan Theatre. The last production was Singing in the Rain in October, and director Anne Turner chose Dementia UK as the charity to support from a raffle. Members of the cast recently presented Anna McNee from Dementia UK with a cheque for £1,100. Anna said, Living with dementia can be difficult and a lonely experience. The support of our Admiral nurses gives a lifeline to families affected by dementia and the invaluable support of the WADS means that we can provide this life-changing support to even more families who need it. Kips will run at the Swan Theatre in Worcester from April the 20th to April the 25th. Kips, the new half a sixpence musical, is a modern stage version based on the original H.G. Wells book. Arthur Kips is an orphan who dreams of a more fulfilling life when he unexpectedly inherits a fortune that propelled him into high society. Tickets 01905... Six double one four two seven. Medals awarded to Sir Edward Elgar, which were stolen in a burglary from his birthplace last year, have been recovered and a man has been charged. Craig McShane, 41, of Ennerdale Avenue, Gloucester, has been charged with receiving stolen goods. The charge says that between June the 27th, 2019 and February the 20th, 2020, at the Furs, Elgar's birthplace, Lower Broadheath, Worcester, McShane dishonestly received stolen goods, namely the Order of Merit Medal and the Grand Cross of the Royal Victorian Order, to the value of £50,000, belonging to the National Trust and Elgar Foundation, knowing or believing them to be stolen goods. He was also charged with receiving stolen goods and going equipped to steal in relation to other incidents. He appeared at Cheltenham Magistrates Court on February the 22nd and was remanded in custody to appear at Gloucester Crown Court on Friday, March the 27th. A hospital has denied putting a patient in a storeroom after she complained of diabolical treatment. Jill Cooper said she was put in the room containing boxes for 22 hours when she went into Worcestershire Royal Hospital with suspected appendicitis. Mrs Cooper, 57, said she waited over seven hours to see a doctor. She rang the Worcester News from the hospital. She said, I am in a lot of pain. It's diabolical. I wouldn't treat my puppy like this. It's just awful. I ring the bell for a nurse and I have been I have told the staff that my medic- medication isn't helping the pain. It's absolutely mad. Mrs Cooper, a bookkeeper from Droitwich, added, I have worked all my life. If this is the NHS, it is diabolical. People were coming in and out, taking things from the cupboards. Mrs Cooper, who was discharged after blood tests, said she was moved on to a ward after two nights in the room. The trust said it was sorry Mrs Cooper was dissatisfied with her care. 
A spokesman for Worcestershire Acute Hospitals NHS Trust said, We would never use a storeroom for patient care. Our doctors, nurses and other staff are working hard to care for high numbers of people in, in need or of urgent and emergency care. We have taken steps to make sure we see patients as quickly as we can, prioritising those who are most unwell. Patients may sometimes be temporarily placed in treatment rooms used for surgical decisions rather than traditional ward bays or side rooms. We don't treat patients in storerooms and a patient's clinical care will not be compromised by the room they are placed in. However, our focus is always on putting patients first and we are sorry if Mrs Cooper's experience of care was not up to the high standards that we set for ourselves. We recently launched a new surgical assessment pathway, pathway, meaning that patients with surgical needs can be moved out of A&E to a dedicated assessment area where they can be assessed more quickly rather than waiting longer to be seen in A&E. An additional £730,000 has also been secured by commissioners to increase capacity in the community to enable an additional 40 patients a week to be safely discharged back to their own home with care support. And that nearly brings us to the end of um, this week's uh, news. Um, Just a date for your diaries. Two's Company Presents Love Letters by A.R. Gurney on Friday the 5th of June at 7.45 and the tickets are £10 each. This is an evening to both entertain and raise money for Worcester Talking Newspapers, a very worthwhile cause bringing news and entertainment to well over a 100 blind and partially sighted people. This play is particularly well suited and easy to enjoy for those with sight loss, producing a double benefit by helping to fund and supply, sorry, to, to help fund the supply of recorded news books and a regular magazine, as well as enjoyment to those attending. To those attending, sorry. Love Letters is a story of two people who met at primary school and maintained a correspondence throughout their lives, charting a complex and intriguing relationship um, speckled with sadness and humour, a delightful and fascinating play by A.R. Gurney. Um, uh, Note has been left by our administrator, um, which was very sweet, a lovely letter received from one of our listeners to say how much pleasure the weekly recordings give her and to say thank you to all the volunteers. And a donation was enclosed, so our thanks um, to her for that. Uh, Listeners are kindly reminded to return memory sticks promptly to facilitate a smooth operation and use of resources. As from now, you will only receive two weeks of recordings. If neither of these are returned, you will not receive further recordings. If you're unwell or have a problem, please ring us on 01905 767766 and leave a message. Um, A reminder before the um, important numbers, the obituaries and the Bible verse will be after our final music. Emergency phone numbers for out-of-hours medical assistance from 6pm to 8pm is on 0300-123-3211 and the NHS for uh, non-emergency help is 111. Malvern Theatre telephone number is 01684-892277. Worcester Live is 611429 which covers the Swan and Huntington Hall. 
Worcester hub number for council matters is 765765 or 722233. Crime Stoppers telephone number is 0800 555 111. Our telephone number is 01905 767766. Our address is 11 Wilds Lane, Worcester, WR5 1DA. Our website address is www.worcestertalkingnews.org.uk on which you can find all the recordings for the weekly news and monthly magazines and much more. We greatly value your feedback, likes or dislikes or changes you'd like made. Please just let us know by popping a note in the envelopes or uh, leave a message on the phone. We'd love to hear from you. And until next week, it's goodbye from us. Thought for the day. John 16 verses 33 to 17 verses 2. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. After Jesus said this, he looked towards heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. And now for the obituaries. Kathleen Arham, née Draper, passed away on February the 17th, aged 89. The funeral service will take place at Worcester Crematorium on March the 16th at 11.30am. Cyril Atkinson of Barbourne passed away on February the 14th, aged 93. A private cremation was held today. Keith William Brown of Langdale Drive passed away at Worcester Hospital on February the 13th, aged 80. The funeral services at Worcester Crematorium on March the 12th at 10.45. Graham George Arthur Fairhurst sadly passed away at Worcester Royal Hospital on February the 16th, aged 69. The funeral is at Worcester Crematorium on March the 6th at 10.45. David Hadley passed away in Worcester Royal Hospital on February the 16th. The funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on March the 12th at 3.15. Malcolm Hudson of Flyful Flavin passed away in hospital on February the 22nd, aged 87. The funeral is at Flyford Church on March the 10th at 2 p.m. David John Davies, known as John, died peacefully at home on February the 13th, aged 82. The funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium tomorrow. Marjorie Ann Davis, née Brown, known as Marge, passed away peacefully on February the 1st, aged 82. The funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on March the 6th at 11.30. Rose Cecilia Worth passed away peacefully on February the 22nd, aged 85. The funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on March the 9th at 11.30. Margaret Ann Stroud passed away peacefully on February the 17th, aged 90. The funeral service is at St. Stephen's Church on March the 9th at 11.30, followed by a private committal at Worcester Crematorium. Charles Bernard Jackson passed away peacefully on February the 22nd, aged 86. 
the funeral services at Worcester Crematorium on March the 11th at 1.45. Sylvia Jan- Janet Rowland, nay Smith, passed away peacefully at Royal Stoke Hospital on February the 17th, aged 84. The funeral service is at Whitley Methodist Church on March the 6th at 1pm, followed by the committal at Crewe Crematorium. Ron Dinsdale passed away peacefully on February the 23rd, aged 79. The funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on March the 12th at 12.15. Ruth Eileen Hill, nay Corbishley, passed away peacefully on February the 27th, aged 91. The funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on March the 17th at 12.15. Robert John May, known as Rob, passed away peacefully at Ravenstone. Stone Nursing Home on February the 15th at aged 86. The funeral is at Wire Forest Crematorium on March the 18th at 11.30. Peter Norman died on February the 20th, aged 76. Inquiries regarding funeral arrangements um, are to go to Bedwardine Funeral Services on 01905 And our thoughts and prayers are with all the families.